0: Uh. Why are you only calling us when you got your traumas? One of these days we'll repay you, we'll slay you Gonna draw your last breath at the end of our clan. Your eternal torture is every cling have You know what I mean Break the scream. Transfer complete
1: and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. And this is Tyler Orton answering a question in Pellia's class in order to get myself an A+. (laughs) And we're here this week to wrap up Season 2 of Strange New Worlds with reviews of the episodes Subspace Rhapsody and Hegemony. Tyler. Congratulations, Cam. (laughs)
0: You pronounce hegemony correctly. I was, I was going to let you like hang there. And um, after our discussion uh, with regards to uh, Klingon names and how you kept calling uh, uh, Cole in season one of Discovery, Cole, I, I, I was not certain if you'd be able to pronounce hegemony. So um, hats off to you, sir.
1: Well, the worst part was I had the name of the episode written on the other side of my notes, so I didn't have it in front of me. So I was suddenly like, wait, that, what the hell was that episode called? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good on you. Mm, thank you. So why don't we kick it off with episode nine of the season, Subspace Rhapsody. It's interesting to have a kind of big novelty episode follow so shortly after Those Old Scientists, the other big novelty episode of the season. But Tyler, there's been many rumors of an all-musical Star Trek episode over the years that people want to do one. We finally got one. Thoughts?
0: I I think this is a uh, musical episode that uh, done in a way that Star Trek could do at its best form is this a a great musical like if you look at what we've seen in cinema and and to uh, other degrees of television um not particularly like i don't think there's great musical numbers like the, the visuals didn't quite captivate me but I found this to be an utterly delightful episode of Star Trek. Um, some legit numbers that were pretty damn good and had some real emotional resonance to to them. Uh, others that maybe felt more like a Dove soap commercial, and maybe didn't quite, <laughs> quite land. It's <That's> very specific. <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to create an image for our listeners mm. here. So, uh, yeah. Overall, I I like this one. Um and. What really matters for me is whether the emotional beats feel earned in any given episode. And it worked for me, especially um, the sight of um, Klingons dancing on their bridge. Um, <laughs> That's the greatest gif I look forward to using in the
1: <laughs> as I wait season uh, three of Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I thought this episode was a wonderful surprise. And, you know, you're saying like in the history of kind of musicals, does this measure up against the greats? No. Uh, When I'm looking at Gene Kelly films, no, this doesn't measure up. Although I will say, when I start looking at musicals of the last, like, 15, 20 years on the big screen, uh, it kind of does. The way they've been kind of hacking and slashing the editing down to the point where you don't actually get the choreography in musicals so much nowadays. You look at, like, Barbie recently, which actually really nailed it, but I find few and far between actually do it anymore. So this was a real pleasure, and I thought, like, while it had very limited choreography, I would have liked maybe some, like, bigger dance numbers or something, this episode was a real surprise. I mean, I had the sense for a while we were getting a musical episode, and you go, okay, well, this could be a real dud, this could be fun, we'll see how it plays out. What really surprised me was that for what could be perceived as a novelty episode— There was so much going on in terms of character journeys. We got payoff to the Kirk Laon story. We got more with the uh, Spock and Chapel story. We got some interesting things with Uhura and Una. Like It felt like it was very invested in character exploration in a way that I wouldn't have expected in a musical episode. Uh, The best part was that
0: um, uh, Kirk arrives on the Enterprise and he just assumes the entire crew had rehearsed this for him until he started singing too. (laughs) Can you imagine, like, what the, what kind of ego, <laughs> like, he's walking around watching the crew sing and dance, like, doing somersaults and, like, uh, synchronized, like, um, you know, backflips, and he's like, oh, wow, well, this is amazing, all for
1: me, huh? <laughs> I mean, how insane would this crew have to be for him to, like, show up and for them to carry this on for a reasonable amount of time without, like, breaking it all? I mean, he really has also a lot of faith in them as performers. Yeah.
0: Um, speaking of Kirk, uh, maybe I, I want to dive right into the the big crux of it here, in which uh, he has this very very awkward conversation with Lan, in which he speaks of being in a relationship with Carol Marcus, mm-hmm. and that she's pregnant. So he knows it, right? Is is that the sense that you got in *The Wrath of Khan*? Is that he knew that Carol Marcus was pregnant at uh, around this era?
1: Well, this really had me revising my memories of Wrath of Khan because I kind of had the impression he wasn't aware, but then this episode leads me in a different direction. Was it just that he was supposed to kind of like fade into the background in David's life? Was that more the
0: case? But he seemed so invested after David came back into his life. And it's also very clear that David had no clue. Who Kirk was. So at least at this point in the relationship and the pregnancy, it seemed as if Kirk thought he was going to be uh, some sort of presence in uh, David's life.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if we're going to get more there and maybe a explanation as to why he decides to kind of withdraw from being a part of David's life. Uh, obviously, he is that kind of, uh, you know, second star of the right explorer. So maybe it's just deemed at some point that like that's just better for like the growth of his son. But I'm interested to see the way they frame that so that we don't walk away with perhaps a negative um, kind of reaction to Kirk's decision.
0: Yeah, you know, I can understand that. I, I mean, I thought this was more of a um, Jean-Luc, Beverly, Jack Crusher Jr. sort of situation and watch the captain just never knew. Mm. And just that—that's what, that's what I gathered from Wrath of Khan just based on his reactions to everything here.
1: Yeah, it really does feel like this episode reframed that. Um, reframed or retconned? I don't know. Because, yeah. like, if they write it properly, it could still line up. Like, there's other things that this show has done. Like, the whole La'an Kirk thing. You're like, wait, how is this not coming up when Khan shows up? <laughs> I know. Um, like, at that point, we're really really dancing on that line at this point. Whereas, like, this part, uh, this decision they made so much is going to depend on the execution of where they take this. At the moment, it feels strange. Okay. Strange new worlds, yes. That's right.
0: So ultimately, like, this had to do with, uh, I guess, La'an's revelations to him about uh, meeting an alternate version of Kirk and uh, kind of falling in love. Um, This seemed like a very deep and intimate relationship that she struck up with Kirk, who I think this is over the course of fewer than, like, 48 hours. I mean, I think they slept at a hotel or condo that they somehow got into uh, one evening, and there was no, like, physical, intimate touch until they kissed on the street right before going into the Khan Union Singh Center for Performing Arts or whatever that was <laughs> in uh, Toronto, you know, uh Canadian. And um, I, she's really fallen uh, head over heels for a fella that... Yeah, she didn't have that much contact with, but I, I think it's still a traumatizing thing to witness uh, his murder, the alternate uh, murder. But um, I, I will say this, her big number yeah, uh, performed by Christina Chong, it worked for me, I, I, except for the part that it did feel like ca- kind of a dove soap commercial in which they're underneath the sheets, like touching each other's noses, you know? I was like, <laughs> uh. okay. But when they kept it, even in, in like a small contained space, like her quarters, it's not going to be the most like exhilarating visual, the mm-hmm. way that you would get in engineering with Uhura or you know on the bridge with uh, Pike and company. Um, it still worked because of the intimacy there. And I, I, I you know, Christina Chang uh, clearly has a, a a great voice. You know, um, you know. Let, let's be honest. Maybe uh, Ethan Peck and Anson Mount weren't quite up there with her in terms of performing, <laughs> you know, but um, I don't know, th- this this was a, a, a musical number that really landed and so when they had her uh, going up to Kirk um, to talk to him it worked for me, it, uh, it made sense to me and I'm just like, okay, thank you like you, you built it up correctly and you organically paid that off, which is all I ever ask from a Star Trek episode
1: Yeah, I think this uh, number, how would that feel, was like I think me to me probably the standout of the episode and i think the w- the reason this works is that like they've really i think communicated very well that laon is very very shut off emotionally and so like for maybe a different character this kind of like blink and you'd miss it relationship that happened in that particular episode that they that her and the alternate kirk met up in like with what this character has gone through i buy it like this one moment she opened up and then this person was killed and like the trauma she would feel and this need to connect with the closest thing possible. And really like this episode was never, I don't think, really about like her, you know, sparking a relationship with Prime Kirk. It really was about her having the strength and finding it within herself to actually communicate to him like what she felt for this other Kirk and having that conversation where he revealed all the Carol Marcus stuff. Like that was kind of the victory for the character unto itself. And this episode, I mean, it serviced a lot of characters uh, very well, but I really do feel like uh, Laon, this has kind of been like her season. It's been like the Spock and La'an season. And um. She doesn't get a ton to do when we talk about the finale in a few moments, but, like, within this episode, this really felt like a great kind of finale to where this character's been going all season.
0: Didn't we say that last season, too?
1: You know, it, like, last
0: season focused a lot on Laon and uh, Spock as well. I Like, those seem to be um, two of the big kind of standouts uh, throughout the, the first two seasons of Star Trek so far. Whenever Pike's on screen, uh, he's always a perfect anchor. The problem was uh, we didn't see as much of him this season um, just due to his own family obligations, which are understandable. But, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting that they um, have really seized upon Lon, and obviously Christina Chong is, is able to carry that with her. And, and, you know, like she she's carrying the burden of having so much given to her. And I don't know, it's working for me. I think it's amazing. Uh, one of the things that I, I really want to see more of, though, is... Um, like Laon and Una uh as confidants to one another. Like I, I I also don't want number 1 to be softened up at all. Mm. I, I I I like let her be more aloof towards the rest of the crew except for maybe Pike and Laon. I I honestly think that would just be far more interesting because like does doesn't that happen every Star Trek? Is like you know that kind of the gruff person softens up to a certain degree. I mean, they kept Uh Odo and Worf relatively gruff, and I think that served their characters. Whereas you do that to say Tom Paris, where you soften him up. I don't know. Did that really make Tom Paris a more interesting character?
1: Uh, not not really. No, no. Uh, and what I liked was that like this episode was very like self aware about where Una is in this show because you and I have talked about how like it's interesting how Una feels like a little more background in comparison to like a Spock or La'an or some of the other characters and it was like this episode actually kind of acknowledged her role within the show and that she is a little more aloof so she doesn't have these kind of front and center stories opposite the crew members and I like that they gave her you know like the the song like Keeping Secrets to kind of like showcase her kind of approached and maybe like a little bit of her regrets for having to live like this, but I don't think they're going to change it too drastically. What I suspect we'll get is maybe like more kind of like sparks of life with that character with, you know, the ensemble, but I don't think the show is going to change up its energy too much and suddenly make her a very front and center kind of like protagonist for this show.
0: Yeah. but You know,
1: it's, we shall see. We shall see. It's very curious. Uh,
0: what, what we'll end up getting here. Uh, so I Uhura's showcase. I thought this was absolutely fabulous. Um, just made engineering dazzling in a mm-hmm. way that we've never seen it before. I think it was the best directed of all the sequences. Uh, after that, I think probably the chapel sequence in the lounge yeah. was the best directed. Uh, but I don't know and, and obviously, like um Celia Rose Gooding and Christina Chong, they have chops. They can sing and allowing them to have kind of a showcase. Like this is is kind of exceptional it feels as if like the sense i get is like the writers are taking that much more time to learn the strengths of the actors whereas you know in the burman era like it was very closed off like i i think the rule was like writers and actors should not really have much contact with each other it should be very minimal contact mm. and i think in this era uh they threw that out the window and like let's let's find out what the strengths of are of the actors and play to that. But um, and then giving it to her to inspire everyone to do all the singing, like that's just it. She's inspiring people here. Although I was a little struck by the number of crew members, like 200. Um, hmm. I think wasn't it like 738 by Kirk's time? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I guess he really, <laughs> if he has to re- redesign the entire ship to make it like really non-functional, then I guess he's going to need more crew members in order to
1: make it function. It's weird in that he, like, stripped away all the fun, but was like, we need more people for this party. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Very odd decision. Much smaller quarters as well. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to maybe that episode. Maybe we can get, like, a uh, finale episode where Kirk takes over the Enterprise and starts making all these bizarre directives about how to change the Enterprise to be less fun. But, like, the Uhura kind of element of this episode, in a way, this is kind of her episode, you know, you get an opening with her just at, like, the communications console. And it's, like, a real montage of her patching things in. And it was so just, like, as like well-directed and exciting to watch. And the way this show knows that Celia Rose Gooding is their stealth weapon. I don't even know if stealth is the word because this is a Grammy winner. But they know that, like, you're going to give the big number to her. And so they make you wait for it. And when they finally deliver on it, uh, it is just like a showstopper, and the way they kind of tie that into her journey throughout the episode of leading the big sing-along at the end, like, it's interesting to me how they can make this episode that's very much like kind of an Ahura episode, but make it like so in service to other characters. I've seen very few episodes, I feel like, of new Star Trek that have done as incredible a job giving each of the or the majority of the characters significant amounts of things to do without kind of like tipping the balance in one way or the other like uh they sure they certainly don't do this in star trek discovery
0: <laughs> well yeah, well that, that's what's gonna okay is this most emotionally raw episode of all star trek and i mean that not like uh traumatic like discovery often likes to showcase i i mean it like People's emotions are out there on display. We we have Pike literally on his knees singing <laughs> to his girlfriend in front of his entire bridge crew, which is the mo- one of the most amazing moments um, ever as well. But to me, I don't know. Like, I think you have to earn this stuff. You can't just do this uh, after episode three or four. You need to get to know these characters, and I I think this is like I'm I'm scratching my brain thinking: Is there a more emotionally raw episode? You know, maybe maybe you have something like Chain of Command. It's very um, Picard centric, and it, it, yep. uh, it's a battle of um, philosophy, like philosophical differences in, in how you treat people. Here, this is um, getting to everyone at their core. This is very much uh, m- maybe the closest we've had to an ensemble. Like, obviously, somebody like Ortega or Mabenga did not have as much to do yeah. in this one, but I still think that um, just the sheer number of crew members that had a lot to do, uh, very impressive. And I, I think this is a first, like true ensemble episodes uh or at least like the most ensemble episode of Strange New Worlds to date.
1: Yeah, cuz I can like look at um an episode like um you know Paper Moon or even His Way from DS9 which were very much about kind of like bringing characters emotions to the surface, but it's like a single character whereas like this one did it for multiple uh you know couples or individuals throughout the course of the episode and I really was just, like, blown away at how wonderfully, you know, like, um, conveyed these relationships and emotional journeys were. Because this has been stuff that's been carried through this season. And I just didn't think, like, we would get kind of payoffs to these journeys in a musical episode. Like, when you have that big chapel number, um, you know, I'm Ready, which is probably, like, the most fun song in the the collection of of songs in this episode um and kind of the most infectious one but like this is kind of our payoff to somewhat where this relationship has been going we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next episode but like this felt kind of like the big kind of emotional moment of the spock chapel relationship
0: um speaking of which uh that that line that spock has i'm the ex yeah like just like like that kind of hits you like a uh, punch in the gut right there. Just hearing him utter that, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, like we talked about it. You know, they they kind of swung for the fences with uh, those old scientists, and maybe I was going in expecting this would be more of a silly episode. Um, definitely a lot of whimsy to this one, but just like from an emotional perspective, I mean, this one got me every single time. Like I, I I'm I'm very impressed by what they've been able to do. Um, <laughs> much more so than like just torturing people in season. two. 2 of Picard or you know watching people like uh,
1: nonstop tears and Discovery I mean th- to me this has earned emotional beats right here. Big time and even like the small little emotional journey you know Battelle and Pike trying to like Find a vacation spot as a couple Ugh. is conveyed with complete sincerity, and I yeah. think it's just so effective. Like, it's so much fun to watch this kind of like more lighter comedy relief singing going on in contrast to the more loaded emotional stuff. I think Captain Patel is amazing, and I think Pike is a terrible boyfriend.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, like I, he really is, <laughs> and um, dude. <laughs> You, you, you got to know what you got and you got to like, uh, you got to be open about your, about uh, what you're feeling, but you can't be a terrible boyfriend. Then you deserve to get dumped. Like, I, I'm just thinking about like kind of uh, where the relationship has been going uh, throughout the season. I, I I think Captain Patel, we like Pike, but I think she can do better.
1: Yeah. Uh, compromise a little there, Pike. Uh, just go on the trip. It's a museum. Yeah. Who cares? I'm sure it'll be fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it like a little bit of a touristy sport sort of spot? Oh, come
1: on, dude. <laughs> Can't Seriously? we go camping
0: in the woods? <laughs> I like how she said no. <laughs> well, what is 23rd century glamping like? That That's
1: what I'm curious. Oh, well, I mean, hmm. That's a You've got a shuttle pod nearby. You're probably sleeping in the shuttle pod, right? Okay. Okay. See, I was thinking that you
0: transport over to a campfire during the day and then transport uh, into like some resort hotel uh, by the time that the, the, the night hits.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I could see that. I don't think. Th- Do you think Pike is more of a like Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Five kind of guy? Yes, I, I think he planned
0: to serenade her with um, "row, row, row your boats" <laughs> the entire time, and that's why she said
1: no camping. <laughs> Star Trek's other great musical moment. <laughs>
0: That might be the next like Cam what is the next best musical moment after uh after this is it uh Star Trek V, or is it um Move Along Home <laughs> with Ala
1: Moraine <laughs> Well if we're talking ironically it's probably Ala Moraine um there's some good ones though with Vic Fontaine in yeah, DS9 Yeah you're right you're right, you're right. Uh, too many Absolutely. to kind of string along Okay okay uh, and there are uh, some Klingon opera uh, numbers that uh you yeah, know
0: definitely love there as well Um I have to say this Paul Wesley um He's growing on me. Um, I know. <laughs> I I like we we're very like uh like I I'd say um you know from season 1 through like the first 80% of this season um I thought he was great and he makes me like I I feel like he's capturing the spirit of Kirk much more than uh, he was early on. And one thing that you and I remarked on like when we were at the convention uh, the Star Trek Las Vegas convention that just wrapped up a few weeks ago is that uh, Paul Wesley was up there with uh, Dan Genot, uh who plays uh, Sam Kirk, and I really felt that Paul Wesley just looked much more like classic Shatner from that era as well. Like, like I don't know, it's just it, maybe weird, just you know, big poopy pants or whatever. But um, and and it just took an amazing episode like this to get to win us over. But I don't know, he he's
1: working for me more and more. I had the same thought, like. I, maybe they're finding out better ways to just like present him on screen to capture a little more of that Kirk spirit. But that scene where he is talking to Lon, I was suddenly like, I feel Kirk here. Like, I dramatically, Paul Wesley seems to be cracking it at this point. Like, I actually am buying him more and more with kind of the gravitas of Kirk. It's going to take me a little longer. Like I I'm not head over mm-hmm. heels for Paul Wesley now. <laughs> I'm going to take a Not the way La'an is. Well, true. I'm going to need a little more time, but it was just little bits in this. Obviously, the he thought everyone was, re- you know, rehearsed uh, and performing this for him, but also like the moment where Spock is explaining this very silly um, you know, uh cosmic event that has caused the singing, and he says, "Oh, well explained, Mr. Spock. I almost understood that." <laughs> and you get kind of this deadpan expression from Spock. It's like The little bits of banter there, I can feel it. And I'm really looking forward to, I guess it's going to be next season, where we have maybe some scenes of Kirk and Spock actually together. That was one thing this episode, and I don't hold this at all against this particular episode, because I think this one is just so much fun. But like a longer season, we would have gotten more of Spock and Chapel, so that like this kind of turn for her taking this um, fellowship would feel like more of a gut punch. But then also had maybe some more moments of Kirk and Spock along the way as well. Are we excited to see uh, Dr. Corby at some point? They are teasing that out so crazy. I'm just really fascinated to see who they cast as Dr. Corby at this point. (laughs)
0: I have to believe, for the sake of Chapel I, and us being invested in Chapel, that he he he's a perfectly normal man at this point, point. and he only becomes a psychopath uh, due to some unforeseen uh, circumstances, maybe in the next uh, seven or eight years.
1: Yeah, I think it, he's going to be portrayed as someone who's like very brilliant and probably a decent person, and yes, things go awry for Corby. It's going to be fascinating, though, because, like, the show is not going to (laughs) probably, like, spell out Corby's journey, because that is something of a surprise in the original series episode, what little girls are made of. Um, But it'll be fascinating for, like, people who are new to Star Trek, who are enjoying Strange New Worlds, watching this series... That, you know, when it ends, if they're like, I'm going to watch the original series and like where some <laughs> of these characters go, they're going to have their heads spinning as to yeah. like people who were like huge personalities who suddenly become very, you know, a, a lot quieter on the show, like Ahura, who kind of comes and goes. And then like the whole Chapel Corby relationship, I think that would be a real fascinating journey to watch.
0: Yeah, yeah, um uh, maybe kind of disappointing for some people that I think are we're getting a far more interesting relationship right now than the uh dead to me uh way that Spock treats Chapel in the original series.
1: Yeah, like I don't know at this point if the relationship between the two of them in TOS makes that much sense anymore. I know. I know. Given what we've gotten on this show and I'm not against that. I'm okay if they want to kind of I don't want to say break canon, but kind of like bend canon a little bit to justify where they're going because I think Ethan Peck and Jess Bush are really good and have fantastic chemistry. So explore away, but it is kind of weird now when you go to that show because it really does feel like Spock is just completely oblivious, whereas she really is the one kind of just carrying a torch for him. Okay. Um, speaking of Spock, there's a there's a a small little moment at the
0: very end of this episode. Um. Uh, in which, after engaging in some su- successful Klingon demo- diplomacy over uh, blood wine, <laughs> you see Spock just stumble ever so slightly out of the turbolift. Which I, I like. I-, I like when you don't have to hit viewers over the head with what you're trying to get at here, and that was great. Um, also, the TOS music at the very end was just oh. amazing, and I was just like, ah. Oh. And this show has earned it, you know. Like maybe there's some be- might be some fan service stuff that I've kind of, like, gotten like, okay, guys,
1: like, earlier on in the run of the series. But this sort of stuff, it to- totally works, totally earned at this point. I agree. Like, that, you know, just touch of original series music at the end was perfect. And I like that, you know, it ends with the Hura humming. Like, that character has this whole musical background on the original series. So to kind of build an episode around that just feels so perfect. And what a great ending. The only, like, bummer is, like, now that we've got this musical episode that was so infectious... We've kind of done it, so we probably won't get this again. But I mean, just as a kind of standalone, uh, they really pulled something special off here.
0: And and that's just it. Like I'm okay if
1: those old scientists is the
0: one and only crossover between those two series. They 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 nailed mm-hmm. it. You know, um, I'm okay if this is the only musical that we get from Star Trek. They nailed it. They they have to be really confident for them to be able to do something else. You know, otherwise, they risk disappointing folks but maybe they want that challenge you know um overall uh yeah great uh penalty episode leading into um much darker uh series uh season finale uh, what was the name of that season finale uh, hegemony there you go there you go Okay, thank yes, you yes yes uh, um <laughs> interesting colony here okay I, I, I'll, I'll just jump to uh two points here um i found it um kind of a lame cliffhanger um the last true cliffhanger we got in star trek correct me if i'm wrong Mm. Was it Zero Hour in Enterprise? Um, Yes. Or no, was I it? guess it was Lower Decks uh, Season 2, because it oh. actually did say That's To right. Be
1: Continued when uh, Captain Freeman was arrested. That's right. I almost don't even think about that one, but that entirely counts. Um, I tend to, when I think of like cliffhangers, they're tied to more kind of like those big, dramatic season finales. But uh, yes, um, it is fun to see them bringing these back. This one... It did work for me in sort of that kind of like very low key cliffhanger way. Like this is not best of both worlds, um, or you know, Wharf being escorted off the Enterprise. Um, they don't have it doesn't have that sort of grandeur, but just like that moment of like hopelessness and just kind of like sheer befuddlement as to what to do from Pike. I thought was very effective. The real bummer this whole thing was, given that it is not a massive cliffhanger it's really about is the enterprise going to save a crew of unnamed colonists i'm like well sure <laughs> i'm sure they will I, but like probably yeah exactly that, that 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 saps the tension for me and it kind of felt like we just
0: saw half an episode here
1: if they paid this off in like a year i'd be like or whatever till the next season i'd be like oh cool but now with like the strikes and everything i'm like are we going to have to wait like 2 years for the resolution of a fairly kind of standard cliffhanger
0: I, to me, this is kind of like the cliffhanger to Equinox uh, Part 1 from Star Trek Voyager going mm. from uh, Seasons 5 into 6. And, like, like to me, it was not a very exciting cliffhanger. It's just, like, one of the aliens, uh, interdimensional alien lizards, like, charging at Janeway. Yeah. I'm like, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's going to survive. And that always kind of left, like, a... a not a sour taste about that two-part episode in, in my mind because when we went back and rewatched it, that that cliffhanger is kind of dopey but that two-parter is actually great and i i don't want a um a dopey cliffhanger to kind of um uh taint what might be otherwise a a pretty solid two-parter but i just i don't know i like i i i just walked away feeling like oh this is half an episode had some cool interesting beats going on but um a little underwhelming conclusion for uh, uh strange new worlds for me at this point
1: yeah um i i thought it was fine but i'm not I think, like, for to pull off a cliffhanger, it's really got to deliver. Like, it has to be the sort of thing that, like, people are talking about once the season ends. I just don't know what the discussion points are for this one. It is vastly superior to something like uh, Chakotay outrunning, you know, like, security guards in Workforce. That's also not right. a finale. I don't remember. What was the finale for um, the Unimatrix uh, Or, sorry, the cliffhanger, I should say, for Unimatrix Zero. Again... <laughs> I'm
0: struggling to remember that as well. That's how weak it was. Wasn't it something like will seven hang
1: around in this Unimatrix or something? Probably. And like, that is one where I go like that is very weak. This one's kind of mid tier for me, but I'm just bummed. We have to wait so long, but I thought like this episode overall, the Gorn has been teased since the first episode of this season. We saw them a couple times last and, uh, I thought this actually delivered in an interesting way. It had a lot of kind of like aliens and zombie movie vibes. And they seem to be doing something interesting with the Gorn that's slowly developing. Because you had Pike talking about like they're monsters. And you had April going back at him that we just don't understand them. And so I'm very curious the way they're kind of like building these almost like horror movie stories... And where they're going to take this in the long run. Because I don't think this series is going to end with, like, the Gorn are unstoppable evil monsters.
0: No, I, I think the series is going to end with um them finding that the Gorn suddenly get really stiff and <laughs> aren't nearly as mobile as they were uh, in this era of Star Trek. And um uh,
1: not nearly as uh, cunning as well. Do you think <laughs> William Shatner Kirk could have taken down a Gorn if it was moving like the one in the spacesuit in this episode? Oh, hell no. (laughs) Not a chance. I'm sorry. Uh, No
0: matter how
1: many um, uh, bamboo cannons he's got carrying around with him. That sequence I thought was fantastic. Like the slow motion fight with Chapel, Spock, and the Gorn. Um, We've seen CG Gorns before on Enterprise, and they didn't really deliver. I thought this one was done incredibly well because of the tension that was built up by the slow motion with Chapel reaching for the phaser and the way it was like, Hiding kind of in plain sight, and Spock, you know, having come down from behind him really effective, kind of like horror movie suspense storytelling here. Okay,
0: okay. So, look, um, we've had a lot of discussion this uh past season or so about maybe Paul Wesley underwhelming as a recast here. Um, I, I should have looked up the actor's name, but whoever they cast as Montgomery Scott, um, nailed it like that yeah. feels like Scotty. Uh, Just kind of the energy, you know, know, other than Simon Pegg being a very awesome and talented entertainer, I I just like why was he cast as Scotty? You know, Um, you know, Pine, Quinto, Urban, they're all brilliance. Um, Zoe Saldana was bringing something to a character that really didn't have that much nuance in the original series, Uh, you know. Um, I, I just, I, I think they're doing uh, Scotty service and justice here. <laughs> Scotty at Montgomery Scott as your service, as he said there. But um, I don't know. Like, I, I I really dug this
1: portrayal of him here. Yeah, he's played by Martin Quinn. And I believe he's the first Scottish actor to ever play Scotty, <laughs> which is.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Which yeah, is fascinating. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> Canadians, Englishmen, you know, now a Scot.
1: I thought this was a really clever way to work this character's kind of origin story in in terms of how he's going to join the crew and that like it felt so scotty when he designed like the trap um basically to save his own skin basically the human trap the, the man trap the man trap much better term i was stumbling <laughs> for that one um but also just like that he was you know the last survivor of the star driver uh sorry star diver and i mean the ingenuity of the character came across but it was really interesting to see that like genius we know from Scotty that kind of like uh you know, to use a modern uh time term, like duct tape and ingenuity kind of approach to doing things with a younger Scotty because the Scotty we know so well typically skews a little older. He's someone who's a little more wise and I love seeing this um, you know, Pelia student who has done good. I uh, I also like
0: Pelia like trolling number one <laughs> throughout this one. Yeah. Like uh I also like how una's being portrayed as a bad student and pelia goes out of the way to say that scotty was uh, one of her best ever <laughs> students i'm just like okay i, I guess that's why he's uh, going to be chief engineer at one point of the enterprise and why uh, that wasn't necessarily una's um track in uh starfleet do you think scotty is chief engineer by season three do, do you think the appella uh, pelia is you know gonna be chief engineer all throughout Season three, or, or I mean, it's just kind of conjecture on our part. But I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see him come back. Like, I, like, I, I, I don't think it's too early to have somebody
1: like uh, Scotty join the ship. I think that he is going to be a regular in season three. Okay. Um, uh, but I am curious if it's him paired up with Pelia. Okay. And Pelia is more of the mentor because, like, Carol Kane's performance has been very polarizing, but. It doesn't seem to me that they have like, kind of set up this character leaving the show yet. And sure, they could make a very uh, abrupt turn at the start of season three and just have her leave. But it feels to me like it would be more well, interesting.
0: <laughs> that's what they did with Hemmer. Oh, that's
1: true. That was <laughs> like, true. It's just like, hey, you're dead now. Like, oh, okay. They can't kill her. That would be, that would be way too spinal tap. But I think there would I be know, something yeah. interesting to the fact that like we've seen Scotty as the chief engineer. For three seasons of the original series two seasons of the animated and then the films we've never seen him as like working under someone so to me that's actually like an interesting angle to approach that character and do something new with so I am 100% down for scenes being of him being mentored by Pellia uh, it would give that character something to do as well because Pelia has also been someone who is often kind of like a little off to the side you figure he's gonna be regular
0: but is Carol Kane gonna be bumped up to you? Be a regular or will she continue on as being like uh just a recurring uh guest
1: i think she stays a recurring guest hmm now's the question and now i'm asking myself will he just be a recurring guest as well that's kind of what i think in season three and then maybe yeah i i, I kind of like the idea of her um and him having,
0: well, look, as long as the dynamic is interesting and we got signs that it would be, I just don't know if they go a full season with that same dynamic uh, before Scotty actually becomes chief engineer. You know, I like I can do the math in my head that it's going to be seven or eight years before Kirk takes command. That's fine by me. But I I always kind of got the sense that Scotty just knew the Enterprise so well that he was there uh, for a lot longer than maybe Kirk was.
1: Yeah, I I think it's funny because I'm now thinking about like the character of Sam Kirk. I would prefer that like Sam Kirk got bumped up uh, going forward because I really like what Dan Genote is doing with that character. And I'm quite familiar with Scotty. So I'm okay. Kind of like backburnering, uh, backburnering his story for a little while and just having him as a recurring character. That might be more interesting to me actually. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, look, uh, great casting decision right there. His remark, you know, like that's a lot of lieutenants. Um, that made me <laughs> laugh. Although as a Scotsman, I think he'd say lieutenant, but uh, I I won't uh, dig into that sort of nitpicking uh, so much. Um, c- can I ask you this? We're, we're talking about Pelia. Yeah. Like like how much of a part of the crew does she really seem like? Like like how many Pike and Pelia scenes have there been? Like how often do we see her crew functions versus it just mostly one or two characters at a time? We we actually saw her I think interacting with multiple characters um, at a time. The at the most, like this season, or sorry, this episode. Otherwise, I just like, like it's like, maybe she'll just have a discussion with uh, number one. Maybe she'll just be bouncing off Uhura, or maybe just Spock for a moment. But I, I never really saw her kind of a, a, as embedded in the crew
1: that maybe Hammer was. No, um, you know, in the episode Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, we see her helping out in sort of a Guinan-like way, but... It does feel like she's serving more of a utilitarian purpose on this show in that if there's a problem, she'll help out with it. You know, we saw her paired up with Una in an episode for a period of time. But it doesn't feel like we've had any sort of, like, emotional journeys with Pelia, And, like, no characters kind of bonding with her in a real way. Like... It does feel like kind of an odd choice to do that. I- I'm surprised we haven't had just scenes of Pelia, I don't know, joking around with someone in the mess hall the way we had, like, you know, Ortega's and Mabenga in an episode. Like, that I thought really worked. Like, why is Pelia so just like tied to engineering and nothing else?
0: Yeah. That's just, you know, wouldn't it be surprising if maybe they wrap her arc up sooner rather than later and maybe pave the way? to scotty or else i don't know maybe it's just going to be a, a, a totally different engineer next season um he's still he still is just a lieutenant at this point so still needs to earn that uh full commander stripe there um so the the spock and chapel stuff going on here yeah look um we, we all knew she was going to survive so there wasn't necessarily tension there but but spock's emotional beats mm-hmm. dealing with that 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 actually that actually worked and, and for me um not uh, kind of being uncertain kind of the fates of certain people as, as this is unfolding like um like maybe for me the tension is more like patel like i don't want her dead i think she's awesome i yeah i i just like please don't kill her off and uh, that worked for me and i have to say that um uh spock's spacesuit looked pretty badass to me as he was going off <laughs> and um but like uh, very impressed by that um but the cayuga computer voice um it sounded either, like, uh, I, I'm very, very familiar. Like, it's either, like, Kate Mulgrew or, like, Madgell Barrett's AI voice or something like that. I did, I, I, am I just, like, hearing things, or,
1: or, or did you pick up, a, like, a sense of familiarity from the Cayuga computer? I mean, it's credited on IMDb as Alex Cap, who also does the voice okay. of the USS Enterprise, but I, I I don't know for sure. Um, I'd have to go back, and it didn't really jump out to me too much. I wonder if it's just... You know, the, the actress, like, adopting, like, a different tone for the Enterprise, and maybe it resembles someone else. Just like how Siri can do, like, a a North American accent
0: versus an English accent, uh, maybe speak like a robot or yeah. you know, something
1: like that. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, as you were mentioning the Batel stuff, what I liked was when she had the, like, Gorn impregnation that we saw in a previous episode, I liked that they didn't tease it too long. Uh, You had like Pike realize what was going on fairly quickly and it was not something that was dragged through the course of the episode because that's the sort of thing that like I think could be really annoying. Um, It really was like only one scene or so. So I thought that was effective. Right. And is this character going to make it? I suspect so. And that's a good thing. Um, I'm glad that they didn't kind of like, I don't know. I feel like when that character gets back to the Enterprise and is put in, into stasis, we can assume as viewers she's going to be Okay. Hopefully, uh, you know, th- those arm eggs, you know, uh, I hate them when I get them there. So <laughs> I wanted to mention the uh, Chapel moment, which, as you said, like we knew Chapel was going to survive. But I thought that moment of her, you know, finding out she has one hour of life support and then looking out the window and seeing the Enterprise. I thought that moment was so wonderfully directed, like it felt so cinematic. And the type of thing that Strange in the World seems, seems to make look very easy, but a lot of the other Trek shows really can't nail. She needs to get better uh, batteries for her
0: flashlight, though. Just mm.
1: saying. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true.
0: Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, the other question I wanted to ask you—you kind of touched on it um, a, a little bit, but um, okay, look, the look of the Gorn species, so classic, right? Yep. Um, same with the Klingons, mm-hmm. right? Uh, why change it? Like, I, I just like w- w- with the giant tails, and it looks like I'm watching like, like almost like velociraptors but yeah. more uprights you know like i just i like i'm not saying you need to do like the old school tos version but this seems like like almost too much at this point you know just kind of like how the discovery klingons were just a little bit too much you could have toned it down like i i it, it irks me but not to a degree that i i'm rolling my eyes but it's something that's just like come on like you got a good
1: thing going it feels more like akin to the Enterprise approach to the Gorn than the original series. And I, I'm wondering if they like overthought it. Like they were like, oh, people are going to see the Gorn as being campy if we make them look like the 66 episode, even yeah. though that design is badass. But I wonder if that was like a fear. But I I don't think that that, I, as I said, like I think they were overthinking if if that was the case. Because that design, if you just like, you know, kind of modernize it a little bit, it could be pretty damn scary. And this version, I thought it was, like, effective in how it was used in this episode, and I'm, I guess, willing to go along with them that perhaps there are different types of Gorn and Gorn can look different. Sure, Um, sure. We've also seen that, uh, you know, sometimes they just update things, and Klingons look weird for one season of Star Trek Discovery. So, like, maybe the Gorn just look kind of strange on this show. Um, But... I don't know, it worked for me dramatically, but it was the sort of thing where I kept looking at it going like, eh, I'm sure it looks normal without the helmet on, but then it was like, no. No, it doesn't look uh, quite like the Gorn I know and love.
0: Yeah, yeah. I We still haven't gotten Klingons on Star Trek Discovery yet. I, I think maybe they're waiting for the updated look for Season 2 of Strange New Worlds. Do you think in season five you get the update? Well, I don't know, updated. I uh, The old school look of the Klingons in that uh, timeline, or is it just too much of a headache? Like, why don't we just uh, keep ignoring the Klingons in the, I don't know, 31st, 32nd century?
1: Well, in a show that cared about its lore, uh, they would be acknowledging where the Klingons are, are at that point in time, because, you know, you know, they've kind of set up where, like, the Vulcans and the Romulans are. Klingons should be explained as well. But I also wonder if, like, this 10-episode, very plot-driven season is going to have time for the Klingons. And if it's just easier, given what they did with them in season 1 and 2, to just basically sidestep it all together. It does seem like the sort of thing they should do, though. The question is, will they?
0: Yeah, I guess, like, I can understand their thinking. It's like, unless, you know... Unless we're really dedicated to telling a story about the new canon of Cardassians, Ferengi, Klingons in this, you know, a thousand years in the future, yeah, maybe it's just easier to leave it alone and let somebody else uh, take up that mantle if they have like a real clear vision. Versus maybe kind of doing some sort of one-off where it it could spoil any efforts
1: to do something like really visionary uh, later on down the road. I mean. If they don't deal with it on Discovery Season 5, I would have to imagine it's going to pop up at some point in um, Starfleet Academy, right? Like, the that show, I'm sure, in their minds is going to be a, uh, you know, ongoing show for a few seasons, and it would seem very strange to make a Star Trek show and not have Klingons appear at some point.
0: Yeah, uh, you know,
1: and I, I think that's probably, like, the uh, right answer. like the, I, I, the
0: correct answer, I should say, is, like, let somebody else deal with that, although... That 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 kind of preview that we got of season five of uh, Discovery kind of opens itself up for some sort of like space chase, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Ah, uh, presumably you'd come across some familiar faces, much like you did in, uh, say, Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, you know. Yes, you know. Cam. I want a cryogenically frozen, uh, Raigez <laughs> O'Kona, like popping up,
1: uh, in, in uh, the last season of Discovery. They want to make it whimsical, don't they? <laughs> it's just weird to me how like. Uh, Strange New Worlds could just do, like, an episode of the Klingons at the start of this season. Just a standalone episode. And it just, like, reintroduces them in such a fun way. We have a good sense as to where they are. The visual design is just nailed. And we can move on from there. But it still lingers in the back of the mind. Whereas, like, Discovery has been in the 32nd century for uh, two seasons now. And they've just kind of, like, sidestepped any of this sort of stuff. Like, we've had the odd just, like you know, extra, show up in, like, Ferengi makeup or something like that, but they are not explaining at all kind of the layout of the galaxy in terms of all these alien species.
0: Okay, Cam. So, Strange New Worlds, Season 2. Doesn't quite match Season 1 for me, but the fact that you had um, a lot of, like, real standout episodes, like Charades, Those Old Scientists, uh, Subspace Rhapsody... I it, like. I feel – I think maybe those three episodes are at the top tier of Strange New Worlds, which we saw in Season 1 of maybe um, – oh, why am I blanking on the name of the Season 1 finale, Cameron? It is at the tip of my tongue. Quality of Mercy. Yeah, Quality of Mercy. Yeah, Quality yeah. of Mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think those three Season 2 episodes are right there at the top. But overall, I, I kind of have to give – It to season one, as I think it was just more consistent. And and we weren't getting episodes like Lotus Eaters uh, that were kind of boring. There were a couple episodes that felt a little bit more like a slog, like the uh, Laon Kirk Tomorrow episode, which they really stretched out that hour, you know, that is a bit of a longer sit for me. And I don't think Paul Wesley quite nailed the character at that point um i liked the season one uh, or season two premiere a lot more than i think fans did in general but um i wasn't necessarily as on board with uh at astra at prospera the same way uh other folks were mostly because they, they didn't they didn't resolve anything philosophically they just found a loophole and i was just like well okay whatever what's your takeaway between those two seasons
1: it's really interesting in that like Season two has the higher highs, I think, with yeah. those old scientists and uh, Subspace Rhapsody in particular. Um, it also feels like the season where they were like, let's just do crazy things and see if they work. And the fact that like most of them worked is uh, pretty compelling, especially given that it seemed like they were inspired by the episode The Elysian Kingdom from season one, <laughs> which well. didn't work and i think filled them with a lot of false confidence that ultimately paid off so uh you know who knows <laughs> uh, the elysian kingdom ultimately sprung uh delicious fruit but i mean the thing about season 1 was it's a i agree it's a more consistent season like week to week you and i were just like oh this was another solid episode like the weaker episodes battery boy which we came around on later on and then elysian kingdom which we didn't we, we- We keep calling it Battery Boy.
0: Uh, (laughs) Folks, uh, it's uh, Lift Us Up Where Suffering uh, Cannot Reach. That's right. Whenever you hear Battery Boy, we're uh, talking
1: about uh, episode (laughs) six of Strange New World. That's right. Um, But, like, there's no episode in season two as bad as the Elysian Kingdom. Yeah. There's not a single episode this season that I would really, really, really not want to rewatch. The memory one comes closest. Yeah, Among the Lotus Eaters, is that the uh, the weakest episode for you? That is the weakest one. That's the one I would have the kind of the toughest time sitting down to. But I do wonder if it's a little bit like um, Lift Us Up, where the second time through, I appreciate it more. So yeah. this was a weird season in some ways in that you'd say it's not as consistent as season one, but the highs were, I think, a bit higher. So I almost don't know how to rank them. Like, sometimes when we rank seasons, it's really obvious to me. Whereas this one, it's like, well, do I choose the better episodes, or do I choose the more consistent journey throughout? And I'm not exactly sure at this point in time.
0: I'm wondering what my rewatch of Under the Cloak of War is going to be like. Mm. I
1: I found that episode quite problematic,
0: you know, but yeah. I don't have a completely closed off mind to it. So let's say, um, you know, uh, I'm... Uh, I don't know I'm just wondering if maybe that the last half of this season uh was pretty strong though like starting with charades onwards Um uh, maybe maybe uh lost in translation I thought that was a little bit of a slog but um you know like uh hi I'm Kirk hi I'm Sam oh we don't get along just like, <laughs> okay sure you know but um I don't know like it just it's very difficult to make a you know, good television. It really is, and the fact that Strange New Worlds is making it easy, uh, making it look easy, you yeah. know, and creating Star Trek. It just seems as if, okay, remember like uh, Brandon Braga, uh, co-creator of Enterprise. He came out and said like after the series wrap that uh, season four essentially should have been season one. It's it's one of those realizations that you have afterwards. And it just kind of feels as if like Strange New Worlds is maybe the formula that they should have been using um, from the outset of this new Kurtzman era. And like, it's just, it's making Star Trek, Star Trek again. It, it feels fulfilling watching it. It doesn't feel like, um, like uh, a torture <laughs> and both figuratively and literally for some of those series. Although, you know, we've really enjoyed Strange or uh, Lower Decks. We've really enjoyed Prodigy as well. Um, yeah, it's been a kind of a mixed bag since 2017, but um, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm happy with at least three out of those five shows.
1: Yeah, me too. And I mean, if you were to combine seasons one and two uh, and kind of take the best from each and put them together, that's really an impressive run for early Star Trek. Uh, The original series obviously was uh, pretty gangbusters, not so much out of the gate, but over the course of that first season. It's pretty impressive that its first 20 episodes, Strange New Worlds, has been as good as it is. You know, you look at that list of producers at the start of that show, and it's the sort of thing you see on Discovery as well, and that show often feels very micromanaged, and the fact that Strange New Worlds, I'm sure has a lot of people giving opinions and notes, and yet it feels like so of its own self, like it feels like a show with a unique kind of vision for itself that seems to be working really well. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. Um, I'm also surprised
0: that... uh... Sam Kirk seems to be the unsung hero of uh, Strange New Worlds. Did not expect that uh, going into the uh, series premiere uh, <laughs> in, in season one. I was like, huh, you know, he he just kind of seems like a like a regular guy, yeah, in kind of the Star Trek universe, and, and not like just like uh like a a dopey guy, but just you know like how how would how somebody from this era would be like in that era, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about this show is that we have had issues with Paul Wesley's Kirk through season one and two. That has been our casting complaint. Look at some of the other Star Trek shows. We would have been grumbling. Had we been covering, say, Enterprise week to week, you and I would have been grumbling endlessly. Like, what are they doing with Mayweather and Hoshi? What are they doing on this show? I don't have that complaint with any regular on um, Strange New Worlds other than just being like oh man I wish Anson Mountain were in more episodes in season 2. Really beyond that I don't have those kinds of complaints so I really do give them credit for pulling that off and also managing to bring in like the goofier aspects of Star Trek and making it work. Like in, uh, the episode, in this finale episode they went to <laughs> a colony modeled on an old midwestern US town that's the sort of thing you saw in the original series all the time yeah, and yeah. they just Did it straight-faced? They're like, yep, this all makes sense to us. And I went along with it. It didn't feel campy or silly. It actually worked for the storytelling and the way that the show can balance its many different tones going on and feel just entirely just strange new worlds, I think, is a testament to the show. And I'm at this point now where coming off of season two with a lot of highs in the back half of this season, it's like, whoa what are they going to do in season 3 it makes me nervous uh, you know going forward because it feels like what more can they do to knock my socks off i i look they they seem to want to challenge themselves and so i'm all
0: for that um the one thing though uh, they gave ortega a lot more to do this season mm-hmm. i don't know if they gave her enough i i think this is the one character that they just haven't nailed at this point
1: yeah i agree i loved her big like um shuttle landing moment in the finale i thought that was pretty uh, well done, and a great character moment for her. But we need more of a character journey. But, you know, you look at some of these, like, past kind of utilitarian Star Trek players who didn't have necessarily big character arcs. A lot of them didn't have personalities that really popped, whereas Ortega's does have that so far. So they've got a spark there. Uh, it's up to them to make that work for them a little more in Season 3. I would have to imagine that... The fan response has been pretty clear regarding that character, so they must know that they should do something more with her.
0: Yeah, I don't want to make her, like, a secret agent sort of deal, but, like, <laughs> I-, I think it would actually work better if she was kind of, like, the goofy person on the ship, which you kind of get the sense that she is, whether she's pulling, you know, practical jokes on Uhura, like in Season 1, uh, she's wearing silly hats in uh, Lotus Eaters, you know, like, um, I go accentuate the um the goofiness of that character and then put her in interesting situations and i think you have a solid character if if one not defined by the, this kind of grand old character arc that maybe we're getting with chapel or la Aune at this point
1: yeah like i thought one of the interesting little character bits in um subspace rhapsody was that like in several scenes on the bridge for example when pike starts singing You see Laan look concerned and start to like you know run over to Ahura. You just see like this smirk on Ortega's face. Like she seems (laughs) genuinely amused at everything that's going on around her, and I like that for a character because it's not the sort of thing that a lot of other Trek characters having have going for them. A lot of the time, there's a little bit of a self seriousness, and I like that. There's this character who seems like actively amused at everything that's going on on the ship. Okay, so folks, we are going to take. A bye week
0: uh, next week. Uh, of course, you're getting like two episodes this week because we just covered the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. We're covering the final two episodes of Season 2 of Strange New World. So Cam and I will be taking a bit of a bye week But uh, I think it makes most sense uh, if we're coming back after that to cover like uh, kind of a recap of Season 3 of Star Trek Lower Decks ahead of the premiere in early September and, um, yeah, Ken, you will be taking a, a well-deserved uh, extended uh, trip to Europe. I believe it's the first time you've uh, you've gone across the pond there. But we will have some kind of uh, bonus contents um, for folks as, uh, as maybe we're taking a little bit of a break from the show. Uh, there will still be stuff going on in the feed, and I, I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be unique. It'll make some of our listeners kind of like scratch their heads as to what we're doing, but um, yeah, there, don't <laughs> worry. There, there will be some content uh, running through the feed, um, even if we're not necessarily tackling um, lower decks week to week um, until maybe, uh, I'm guessing around the the uh, earlier on to the season, maybe around episode four or five.
1: That's right. Yes, as if they aren't always scratching their heads about what we're doing, Tyler. <laughs> Uh, fair enough fair enough <laughs> okay so I think on that note our assignment is complete if you enjoyed Listen's podcast we want to hear from you jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod and also leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts those are much appreciated when it comes to rankings and all that sort of thing you can also of course find us on the Twitter I'm at Cam V is in very big shout out to subspace rhapsody songwriters Tom Pulse and Kay Hanley Smith that's a bit of a reach, but okay, we'll go for it. <laughs> I, I didn't credit them in the episode, so I'm like, I'm going to do it now because I only have seconds left. Okay. Uh, well, uh, you
0: can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N, N as in numbers, comma, song and dance.
1: <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed.
0: Um, I have to say this, Paul Wesley, Um, he's growing on me. Um, I know. I <laughs>